Hi, this is Diego Barrazas and welcome to Dementes Success Stories, a show within Dementes where I sit down with company leaders to talk about how they've tackled their biggest challenges to become a reference in their industry. Today's guest is Jerome Posma, an entrepreneur with years of experience in the global business scene, having lived and worked in 15 countries. Back in 2011, Jerome founded Mexico Business Publishing, a company that releases a portfolio of eight high-level annual reviews about Mexico's key industries. Two years later, in 2013, he founded Mexico Business Events, where they organized conferences for the biggest industry and political leaders. This year, the Mexico Business Summit will take place from November 28th to 30th at Expo Santa Fe in Mexico City. If you want to check out more information about the Mexico Business Summit, go to the link I provided down in the description and visit their webpage for more information. That's all for now. I hope you enjoy this episode with Jerome. Welcome, Jerome. Like that? Thank, thank you very much. Well, let's start with what well, we were already talking before recording. Where did the seed of Mexico business was planted? Yeah, very good. Well, like many of these stories, they, they have a lot of unexpected beginnings. So my background is in, in business and I became a business journalist by accident. Mm -hmm. I spent five years uh, preparing reports on many different countries, mostly for the newspaper of the Ministry of Commerce of China. Okay. Uh, in, in the period of 2005 to 2010, when there was a lot of the opening of the Chinese economy. It was a fantastic opportunity to meet a lot of very interesting people, but also uh, a concept that gave me uh, enough frustration that I mm -hmm. later put into, into this business. Because in the, in the business model that we were operating under, in the end, we were making our money with advertising. And okay. uh, so, let's say, the balance between advertising and editorial uh, sometimes felt uh, a bit forced after you had spent time in a country doing a lot of interviews and there was no space to fit all the content that you thought were, was great. Um, Sorry to interrupt, but was it printed? Was it by email? Like, how was the way you were delivering this, so, this content? So that was delivered in print. Okay. So the content, the reports would be published in the newspaper of the Ministry of Commerce of China. Okay on the date of a major event between a specific country and China. Okay. So we would go six months in advance, interview all the key people in, in okay. that country that had a major event coming up with China. And on the day that a trade mission or a president or a prime minister would arrive to China, that day the report would be published in the, in the okay. newspaper. There's a lot of logistics involved in, in that. So we would spend a lot of time traveling around, mm -hmm. uh, visiting, uh, visiting a lot of interesting people in, in, in many different countries. Um, after doing that and before coming to Mexico, because coming to Mexico was also sort of random, um, I'd spent a year here in 2007 doing a series of reports on the oil and gas industry. So mm -hmm. I, I knew the country, uh, I liked the country, and I also knew that there were opportunities here. But the plan was not necessarily to come here. Okay. So I spent 2010 uh, traveling around Southern Africa for mm -hmm. a year with my then-girlfriend, today my, my wife. Um, and during that trip, we had a lot of discussions on where we should live next. Mm -hmm. And um, Mexico was not necessarily one of the first countries we, we thought about. But Where is she from? She's from Spain. Okay, yeah, so, so there was no... So our first discussions were about Europe. Um, but in 2010, the European economy was not looking mm. very good. It was really when, when the impact of the financial crisis was the greatest. So it was not a fantastic moment to either look for a job or start a business. Mm -hmm. So we started talking about any other country around the world. Um, we considered staying in Africa, going to Asia, and one day 
we got to discuss Mexico and uh, and we said, okay, yes, maybe we should go to Mexico. So we literally drove to an internet cafe in the middle of nowhere in Mozambique in September 2010. We bought a plane ticket to Mexico for February 2011. Mm -hmm. We finished that trip and that gave time to think about what to do next. So during this process, many business plans had already been created. You were unemployed in that that. We, we were completely free in a sabbatical year. Okay. So we, we had bought a Land Rover Defender with a tent on the roof, and we were in nature pretty much for, for an entire year. Those cars don't drive very fast, mm-hmm. so you have a lot of time to think <laughs> about what you're going to do next, and also uh, a lot of time to recharge your batteries. So mm-hmm. arriving to Mexico was very clear what I was going to do. I was going to start a publication on the Mexican oil and gas industry, which was obvious because I had already been here, interviewed a lot of the CEOs in uh, in that industry. And I knew that there was an opportunity to, to create a very high quality product. Mm-hmm. And no one had yet been crazy enough to make a 400-page publication mm-hmm. for which we would interview the 200, 250 key people in that industry. So that is how it all began. The idea was never to create a publishing company. Mm-hmm. Um, in the end... The idea was more to create a consulting business and, okay. and possibly offer other products to uh, to our clients. The easiest way to enter a new country, and the only way I have learned in my professional life, is through a media project. Mm. So if you prepare... And the perfect excuse to, to talk with people, to meet people, to... Exactly. If you are publishing an annual review on an industry... Yes, CEOs of the main companies will give you a meeting. They will give you an interview. They will give you their insights. So after one year, what we had was a publication that positioned us as a reference in the Mexican oil and gas industry, direct access to 200 CEOs, and the opportunity to have trained our team on uh, on how to, uh, to work with this industry. And the idea then was to build... Uh, pools of clients in different industries. So we started with oil and gas. Uh, and after one year, we had a pool of potential clients of 200, 250 people. Then we started doing the same in energy. We started doing the same in mining, etc. But potential clients for the original idea was consulting. So the idea was, yes, they would be our interviewees. They would be our advertisers because that's how we, uh, okay. how we generated our revenue. And then we would start offering them consulting services uh, okay. and potentially other services that we could uh, could offer to these people based on our reputation mm-hmm. for excellence that we had established through the publication. But but it was like, like the, the experience through that publication was when you're like the first ones, it, you didn't have any previous proof you could show them, right? Or No, it was what was very beautiful is that in the beginning of 2011, Apple released the first iPad. Mm. It's crazy. It seems like iPads have been around forever, but that was a novelty item at the moment. Mm-hmm. So we were showing in an iPad uh, a PDF of what a printed book would look like, and people could dream the dream just by seeing that, and they and they onboarded onto onto that dream. There was nothing else to to show. No, okay. there was uh, just a dream and an energy that we brought to our meetings, and people wanted to support. Yeah. An initiative that is that was uh, somewhat outrageous, and this is what often happens in the end. Many people who try to build things, if you have, if you're there to dream a big dream, then people want to support your dream. And uh, in hindsight, that first publication was maybe that seemed a really big dream at that moment, and now that seems like a, a smaller dream, a stepping stone. 
so to understand you were like you had nothing previously i mean nothing to show these first oil and gas people you told them i'm going to do a book at the end of the a publication at the end of the year i'm going to interview you like you're going to give me the information and you're going to pay me to publish this like how how what was the conversation to make them want to do it and i'm asking you because many of us have that same dream you know yeah. like okay when i publish this yeah but i know who's going to pay for it like how did you convince them yeah. or what was the conversation where did they find the value to to be able to to want to give you money for that yeah so so you need to present your dream very well and in the end if you are so, so we didn't charge people to be interviewed or to publish their content mm -hmm. uh, we had a complete separation between the editorial content and, and the okay. advertising but of course we needed uh, people to advertise to make this mm -hmm. a reality and uh, in the end what you're what you're selling when you are uh, offering advertising is two things you're you're selling the context so those mm -hmm. are all the other people that you interview and you're selling the audience and when you start doing your first meeting You have neither one, of course. Uh -huh. So you end up making promises. Mm -hmm. And then it is essential that you keep those promises. Okay. So I started uh, on my own. And the first mission was to, to generate enough revenue to be sure that we could print a book uh -huh. and distribute it. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And once we had that, uh, that revenue secured, then uh, the first people were hired to, to grow the project. Okay. And from there, we had an exceptional uh, first year, to be very honest. And I think that comes down very much to um, how you present your project as an entrepreneur and how much you believe in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And yes, I would enter a meeting room with my iPad presenting a physical book in an iPad, mm -hmm. which seems madness. Um, but when people saw that belief in my eyes, then that gave them also the willingness to support mm -hmm. the initiative. And in that first, uh, in that first edition of, of Mexico Oil and Gas Review, as the publication uh, was called, uh, 70% of the people that we offered an advertising actually came on board. We have yeah. never, ever been able to get anywhere near okay. such a percentage. So there's something magic when you start something. And the longer you run something, that, that special sauce starts to to wear off but yeah it was definitely there in the beginning and then people really uh, even if they had no commercial reasons necessarily to mm -hmm. advertise with us they just wanted, wanted to support this project of this entrepreneur with a somewhat crazy idea because okay. they saw that he might actually do this and that would be good for our industry so so let's support this initiative okay so what happened next because right now you have uh, like a like a bunch of events going on, you have a big summit coming up. When did you go from doing just the publications or, or for each industry to, to going this big? So after the success of the first publication, the logical next step was to put the consulting idea on hold and to do this, to launch a similar publication on focused on similar industries. Mm -hmm. So the value chain of oil and gas is very similar to the value chain of energy mm -hmm. and to the value chain of mining, and it's a similar kind of industry. So we, uh, we expanded to, to covering those two other industries, which was, in hindsight, a pretty terrible idea because Why? we went from doing one publication to doing three. 
Uh-huh. And when you But, are a one-year-old company and you want to triple mm. the amount of products you create, that's not so easy. So, okay. so it took us quite a bit of effort to get those other two publications uh, published. And from there onwards, we'd learned our lessons and we, grow, we grew the portfolio to eight publications that But we would why publish. Why was it a bad idea to do three? Uh, like, as a first impression, it's like the same the same um, technical knowledge you need to have, like the writers are going to yeah. write, the person who does research is going to do research. What makes it so so much harder uh, or, or not a good idea to do three instead of one? Because the first one we did with a team that had experience doing this. So mm -hmm. I was there very actively involved, of course. On day one, I was doing everything on my own. There was no one else. And then the first people that, who came on board, they had experience in doing this. Mm -hmm. So we had a very high-quality team to make mm -hmm. this happen. When we added other publications, we needed to start training people from scratch to do this. Yeah. And so we were running on the one side, Mexico Oil and Gas Review, which had to pay the bills. And we had all these new people who, were, who had joined the team mm. who had a lot to learn. <laughs> uh, and what we were doing is, is, uh, is uh, requires a skill set that has quite a steep learning curve. So, yeah, I totally underestimated that. Okay. And what made it possible to do it, like, that third year, you did more publications? Then after, the year after, we added our Mexico Automotive Review. Mm -hmm. Then we started one year later with a Mexico Health Review. So in the beginning, in the first year, Yeah, after that learning experience of mm -hmm. adding two new things, mm -hmm. uh, I sort of had to try to keep myself to a rule of adding one new product per year. Okay. Um, but yeah, that rule was not always respected either because we started organizing conferences in 2014. Um, and that was not planned whatsoever. Okay. Today, conferences are a very important part of our business. But mm -hmm. yes, that's probably the moment that the consulting ambition just got <laughs> shelved forever. Um, we've been going to a lot of industry conferences and we realized that someone should do that better. And why mm -hmm. not us? Because a lot of these conferences were organized by companies that were not based in Mexico that would organize specific industry events in many countries around the world. Mm -hmm. And they would not uh, necessarily have the right topics on the program, have the right speakers okay. invited, uh, or bring the most high-level audience Because if you're moving around from one country to another, you have a limited amount of time that you can dedicate to create something uh, high quality. So by default, you end up focusing more on making money. Uh, <laughs> and we would spend one year interviewing 200 people in an industry. We would know exactly what the key topics would be. We would mm. know who the best speakers would be. And then we would invite all of our interviewees, who would be the director generals of the two, top 200 companies, With a courtesy pass. So the starting point of the event would be 150 out of the 200 CEOs would be there. So you have the basis for a great audience mm -hmm. and we would have the right topics on the program with the right speakers. And then obviously, as in anything that, uh, that we have done over time, the money should follow the quality. So the sponsors will come on board if you... If you build uh -huh. something that is focused on quality and the tickets will be sold if you build something that is focused on quality. Was this all planned or you discovered it once? Like, because once you tell me it makes complete sense, right? But was it planned like that or you discovered this way of, of putting the pieces together by chance or by doing it? 
the only thing that was planned was our relentless commitment to doing the greatest thing, whatever we would do. Mm. If it would be a publication, it had to be the best publication. If we were going to organize a conference, it had to be the best conference. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that we had any idea what we're doing. Because our first conference uh, was organized in, in February of 2014. We decided to organize that event in December of 2013. We rented the biggest conference rooms in the Sheraton and we decided that we were going to be a conference organizer. <laughs> but we had no idea whatsoever what yeah, we were doing. Production. And our entire team became a conference team for okay. two months, probably. We had our journalists calling to sell tickets. and okay. we, Everything was, uh, yeah, somewhat chaotic, but we pulled that off. And then we figured, hey, if we can do this, the first event, we didn't make any money. But we didn't lose any either. So we that's, a, that's a great thing for events because events, many of the people who do events lose money the first, the first time. Exactly. So we, pro we probably got a little bit lucky that, uh, that everything went right. But yes, we, we had all the building blocks ready from the publication that we are releasing at that event. We released the first edition of Mexico Energy Forum, mm -hmm. uh, Mexico Energy Review at that event. And uh, the energy uh, reform had just taken place. Although that was mostly an oil and gas reform, of course, it was a hot topic and, and everyone was excited to meet and to talk about that. Um, and probably the day after that event, we sat down and we said, no, we need to do many more conferences. And I think that year we organized another four. Okay. And suddenly we were a conference organizer. What would you say is the main source of, of revenue right now as a company? Events or the publishing? Like in percentage, what's better business? So our publishing business was always, let's say between 2014 and 2019, was about 70% of our revenue. Mm -hmm. And then maybe the events business would be 25 and we, we would do other things, organize networking, cocktails, etc. That was a small part of the revenue. Mm -hmm. And we assumed that the print media business would not be there forever mm -hmm. as the world was going digital. But I was fairly skeptical about the pace at which that would disappear because starting a book printing business in essence in 2011 was already madness because people said that print was dead yeah. in 2004, more or less. So anything is possible. Um, but what really accelerated everything is COVID because when COVID came, we were in all the wrong businesses. To, mm, yeah, to right. survive full stop. Uh, our print uh, publications couldn't be distributed anymore. Mm -hmm. And you cannot sell printed advertising in a video call. So, our conferences were all canceled indefinitely. Mm -hmm. And our networking events also were, well, yeah. not an option. So we. Yeah, and the profile of people you bring uh, are not, not going to do like a networking event through Zoom. Like, They're not going to sit down and do that. Through a... Exactly. It was pretty much everything was impossible to do. Okay. So that meant that in March, uh, March 2020, the last thing we did was we organized Mexico Energy Forum. Mm -hmm. um, that event we organized two, three days before Mexico closed down. Mm -hmm. And after that, we had to really rethink what the future could possibly look like. And we had to think very fast because... From one week to another, we lost 90% of our revenue. Okay. And worse, well, that's obviously terrible because <laughs> you have to pay the bills. 
But worse than that was that our products didn't work anymore. So how could we recover mm -hmm. that revenue? Um, we had to rebuild every product we had. So we took all of our products apart and from those building blocks had to rebuild. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, we had launched Mexico Business News in January of 2020. Okay. So we had spent three years figuring out how to take our content online in a way that we could monetize it as mm -hmm. well. And uh, our platform is very different from many other platforms because we have a lot of different industries that we cover in depth on, on one platform. Mm -hmm. And how do you... So our, our question in those three years of building Mexico Business News was, how can we build a digital platform, monetize it without cannibalizing our advertising sales? Mm -hmm. Well, we didn't have to think about that anymore in March 2023 <laughs> because uh, 2020, there was no more advertising sales. But also there was no traffic on Mexico Business News. Okay. So at least it gave us something to do. We were creating a lot of content. Some of our clients were thankfully helping us buying some of our content marketing services, mm -hmm. et cetera, that mm -hmm. gave us a, a, a little bit of cash flow. Uh, but we had to rethink everything very fast. By April, we had already decided that our print media business was dead, Okay. which hurt a little bit to make that decision. But there was no time or space yeah. for any sentiments. And from there, uh, the motto was really, okay, question everything. Everything we've ever done, Mm -hmm. We have to question it right now because the past is never going to come back and mm -hmm. we cannot wait for 2019 to come around again. So we started building for a future and um, we were sort of forced to explore virtual events. For one reason, uh, yes, that was something that seemed to make sense. Uh, other people were trying it, so we should definitely be there. But also we had uh, events that had a lot of sponsors that mm -hmm. were committed already. Okay. And those events couldn't take place. So yeah. we organized our first virtual event in October of 2020, at Mexico Oil and Gas Summit, mm -hmm. which uh, for the standard of virtual events that were taking place in that moment, it was not bad at all in mm -hmm. hindsight, obviously. There was so much to be improved in, in what we did there. But, but after that event, it felt a bit like our very first conference that we did in person. Uh, six years earlier, we figured, hey, if we can pull this off the first time, then okay. this is something that, that we can really turn into a business. So we filled the first quarter of 2021 with our best events, mm -hmm. and we organized four conferences, and it was a great success. Okay. So based on that, then we said, that why? That you oxygen to, to continue. Exactly. Then we said, why, why is the frequency of business conferences one per year? That makes no sense because in every industry that we cover, there are probably three, four or five industry conferences that our clients go to. Why should we only do one? Why don't we do two? And who knows what is the limit? Uh -huh, Maybe exactly. we'll even do more in the future. Exactly. So we ended up doing two editions of all of our main events per year okay. and starting to give them different focuses, etc. And we ended up in 2021 having our best year ever in terms of sponsorship sales for conferences. Mm -hmm. So our advertising revenue was gone. Our ticket sales also were almost irrelevant because after nine months of endless Zoom webinar opportunities, people were not very willing to pay uh -huh. to attend conferences, but sponsors were desperate to engage with their audiences. So, okay. so that worked out very well. And um, yeah, from there, so if we, if we focus on the, on the conference business, 
from there, we've gone through all the stages uh, that we never expect to evolve through. So yes, we were very happy with our virtual events. That was is great for a conference organizer because you have very little costs. Exactly. And yes, we had a lot of sponsors coming on board, so that saved our life. Then we entered into 2022, and of course, we couldn't do virtual events forever. People wanted to meet again face-to-face. Mm-hmm. And we were very convinced that the future was going to be hybrid, which was not true. Hybrid events worked for a little bit, so we organized our first hybrid event in, uh, in July of 2022, and we had no idea how many people would show up. Mm-hmm. How many people are going to attend your event virtually and how many will be physically in the hotel where you're organizing your conference? So we went through... It's a really complex experience because who's the, the people talk, who are the people talking to? To the camera, to the people there, the interaction, like it's, it's weird to, to handle both things and internet connection. Like Nobody knew what to expect. We didn't know what to expect. Our attendees didn't know what to expect. Our sponsors didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. It was... Uh, yeah, very, very interesting time. And we, we have really had the, the luck that we had a lot of learning opportunities because in 2021, 2022, and this year, we've been organizing some 20-plus conferences every year. Yeah. So every two, three weeks, we had the opportunity to learn again and learn and learn. And this really a gave us a huge... of conferences. gives a huge advantage over all other conference organizers because many companies would organize one per year or two or maybe five if they would organize many. So we could learn so much, uh, so much faster. And also we learned about those, those hybrid events. And then we learned that the future was not hybrid events, that it's in-person events where you use technology. Mm. So um, right now, uh, that is how we operate. People want to meet face-to-face, but one of the main lessons learned during the pandemic is that you can offer a lot of value to your sponsors and your attendees by helping with lead generation. Because I think this was the biggest problem of any business or at least any B2B business during the pandemic. Where did the clients go? Mm-hmm. They were all in their home, but no one was answering their uh-huh. office phone. No one was reachable. People stopped responding to email. So where did your leads come from? Well, they were not coming. So we organized our events using a, a conference platform where, where we use artificial intelligence to connect supply and demand based on interests. And uh, that was exactly what our clients were, were looking for. And that is something that, we, that we're still offering uh, today. And probably the most important lesson we learned there, and something I had never thought about as a conference organizer, is that there's a difference between networking and matchmaking. Mm-hmm. We'd always just offered networking. So our sponsors would put their stands in the coffee break area and would say, good luck. I hope you find interesting people. Yeah. And I hope now, you do something so interesting that people are going to go to you because I'm not responsible for that. And now we know for every single person that enters the event, we know exactly what they want to buy, what they want to sell, what they're looking to invest in, what they're looking for mentorship about, what they want to network about. And we can match those people. And of course, if you have an event with a lot of people, you're not going to be able to meet everyone. So we can provide afterwards a data set of all the leads that the sponsors should still meet with, for example. So it completely changed the value proposition that we have. And then uh, we continued questioning everything. And that's a little bit how we get to to 2023, where um, we have... Before, Before you continue with that, how do you avoid cannibalizing yourself with 
so many events or for example like if i am a, a person that's interested in oil and gas and you have three events a year how do you make me go through the, to the three of of those adding to the fact that it's an expensive ticket it's not mm -hmm. like a like a like like an afterthought thing what's the strategy there So for none of our industries that we organize more than two conferences per year. Okay. And yes, in some cases that was challenging. Mm -hmm. One of the big differences with the, the pre-pandemic world was that our revenue came from the sponsorships. So we were less concerned about the ticket sales, which mm -hmm. obviously comes to bite you afterwards when you go to an in-person world again, mm -hmm. where yes... People will have to, again, pay to attend uh, conferences, etc. So that was not but, the but, main... But, yeah, sorry, again, to interrupt you, but to the advertiser, do you tell him no one came? It matters how many people go, right? Or, or you sell something else to the advertiser? No, we had so much reputation in these industries from working on uh, publishing these annual reviews for so many years, from organizing these conferences, so many editions. People were always very happy to, to attend. Okay. Exactly. So we haven't really... Uh, the only thing that was challenging is in, in those first hybrid events to know how many people come in person, how okay. many are going to attend virtually. But having the critical mass uh, attend, that has not really been the challenge. Okay. The main challenge then over time is, uh, is how do you get people to change their behavior and become accustomed again to paying for a conference ticket, for example, because we're offering huge value and people think that that value should be for free. Well, mm -hmm. some people, of course, many people are willing also to make that investment once again. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so once we had accepted that hybrid events were not the, the future, but the future was in-person events mm -hmm. using technology to add more value, uh, we were still not there because then soon after we realized that we had missed a huge opportunity in all those years of organizing conferences mm -hmm. because we had organized some 80 to 90 conferences that were industry-specific events. Mm -hmm. A Mexico oil and gas summit, a Mexico health summit, a Mexico cybersecurity summit, a Mexico talent forum. We never brought all those people together in one event. And what we had started uh, seeing is, for example, our, uh, our clients in energy Yes, they were sponsoring a Mexico Energy Forum, but their clients are the off-takers in the automotive industry or in the mining industry or manufacturing medical devices. Anyone who is, needs a lot of power. Yeah. So as our clients were starting to move across industries, we finally came to the conclusion that we should change the whole concept of our fencing again. And this is how Mexico Business Summit was, uh, was born which is a conference where we bring together, well, step one was energy and automotive. Because the energy companies are offering their services to the automotive manufacturers. Mm -hmm. But our automotive manufacturers are starting to position themselves as electromobility companies. Mm -hmm. So we added an electromobility track. Then when we had electromobility and automotive, we had the bulk of what is the nearshoring trend. So we added a nearshoring trend. Uh, nearshoring tracks. So once we had those four, we said, okay, what do these people need to be successful? What is indispensable for them? Well, they need logistics. They need talent. talent. Mm -hmm. And one thing that will be crucial uh, for foreign companies to invest in Mexico already today, but in the future even more, is are you able to meet your ESG obligations, mm -hmm. your global targets in a Mexican context? So out of, out of this 
joining of automotive and energy sectors, uh, an eight-track conference was born, which is probably going to be the biggest high-level business conference in, in Mexico this year. And based on the feedback that we have received from the speakers, the sponsors, the attendees so far, uh, this is definitely what the future of conferences should look like. Um, that doesn't mean we're only going to do this type of events. There is definitely also a future for standalone. But in the end, we need to always focus on how can we create most value. And we can create most value if we bring the right people together around the right topics. So yes, once a year, we can do an automotive summit or an energy forum. But the other time that we invite those people, we need to bring them together where they yeah. discover cross-industry opportunities. It's amazing. So now your main, main, main business is this type of event or, or you still do the, 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 the book you, or you killed it completely? The books are unfortunately completely gone. We, we have published some books in digital. We are going to return with digital publications and some of our industries. It really depends on the industry. If it, what makes more sense. Yeah. So for example, one of the publications that is going to make a comeback next year in digital is going to be Mexico Mining Review. Uh, why does that make sense in digital? Well, people always love that printed book, but um, the mining industry is spread all over Mexico and all over the world. Most of the mining companies are Canadian companies. Most mm -hmm. of those key decision makers are in Toronto and Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And most of the people who take decisions in the mining industry are running mine sites. So they are 10-hour drive uh, through yeah, the mountains they're from They're not reachable by FedEx or the, like... So for all those people, it was not so convenient to carry a two-and-a-half-kilo book. So, yeah. so it makes a lot of sense to, to connect those people again, but with a digital product. And uh, what really also makes the difference is, in the meantime, Mexico Business News has grown okay. quite dramatically. Um, so this year, we are reaching some 700,000 unique users. Next year, we're, mm -hmm. we're planning or forecasting that we're going to have a million unique users with very per niche. Per year, per month? Per, per year. So per these year. are unique users on an annual basis across all these different industries. Yeah. So if we break that down to the industry level, there is on average between 70 and 100,000 unique users for our content in energy or in automotive or in mining or in health, uh, which means you have, a, you have critical mass because there are not 70,000 decision makers in exactly, any of these exactly, exactly, exactly. And, and one important question, why English? Why English in a Spanish-speaking country? So... If you look at any of the industries that we cover and you take the top 100 or top 200 companies, 80 to 90% are international companies. Mm. And this is true not just in Mexico. This is true in almost any country where you, if you would look at who are the top 100 companies in the automotive industry in Brazil, mm -hmm. also the first Out of those 190 of them are going to be all the global OEMs and the global tier ones. And then you have your country, your national champions. Okay. And so that's the same here. So when we had to make that decision, we could choose to be one of two things. And uh, so we could be a publication for plant managers, mm -hmm. if we take the automotive example, 
and be more operational. Or we could be a publication that focuses more on the, on the strategic decision-making and on the C-level audience, but which would mean that that content had to be able to be consumed also by people in headquarters all around the world. Yeah. So if we want to generate the most impact, then we need to make sure that we reach as many key decision makers as we can. And in the industries that we cover, those people are not necessarily in Mexico or Mexicans. And this is what we, uh, in the beginning, this was a bit of a bet. Mm-hmm. Because our first publication was Mexico Oil and Gas Review. The only game in town for the entire supply chain was Pemex. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, doing Mexico Oil and Gas Review in Spanish would have made more sense. Mm-hmm. But in the bigger picture, if we wanted to do this in other industries, it would make much more sense to do this in English. And this is what we see confirmed also now with Mexico Business News. Because out of that audience only about 33% is in Mexico. Okay. So 67% of the people that consume that content, they are all around the world. And these are people in headquarters looking uh, for opportunities in Mexico or learning more about what's happening in their industry in this country. Because in the end, um, the content is very, very niche. So if you're looking uh, about a very specific topic for the automotive industry in Mexico, and you're based in uh, Germany, mm-hmm. it's very likely that your search is going to be in English. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to, in the end, find any of the content that any Spanish language automotive publication may have online. Yeah. So all of that traffic is going to end up uh, on a platform where people can actually yeah. find an answer to their search. So you can look always at any business from two points of view, from your own mm-hmm. and your own context or from your audience, mm-hmm. your client's context. And in the end, we need to always put the client first. Okay. So to reach the largest pool of relevant clients, we have to do this in English. Perfect. Why not going to B2C and why not going to other countries to do Uh, the same thing, right? Like, like replicate the model in other countries. The world of B2C is completely different. Then you need to become a mass media Mm. because now you're trying to target 130 million Mexicans. And that is not who we are. And that is not who we aspire to be. Um, And there are a lot of people who are doing that very well. So I don't think it makes a lot of sense to try to fix a problem that you're not the best person to fix. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of media companies in the B2C space that do a very good job. And I don't think if we would enter tomorrow and start chasing that opportunity that we were going to have a walk in the park. If we're doing this in the B2B world, this is something that we're very good at, that we're very committed to. And the worst thing we can do is lose our focus. So we need to absolutely know who we are, what is our mission, and our mission is to be creating as much value as we can uh, for the main B2B industries of Mexico. Okay. And why not go to other countries? Many people have uh, asked that over the years. So that brings me back a little bit with the early days competitors that we were benchmarking ourselves against, whether they were companies publishing, make, uh, creating publications on a specific industry in many countries in the world or organizing conferences for a specific mm-hmm. industry in many countries around the world. 
the more you spread yourself across different countries, the more you're going to lose part of that quality. You're losing your focus. So dilute yourself. Exactly what I sort of criticized other conference organizers for, I would become that exact same thing. And why would we be doing that? And the why is very, very important because going to more countries, would that enable me to offer more value to my Mexican clients, my Mexican audience? No. The only reason to do that, would it enhance the quality of my product? Neither. The only reason to do that would be to make more money. Exactly. And that's never the right driver because yeah. everything we do is based on the belief that the money will always follow the quality. It will follow the value. So spreading our, ourselves thin over many countries would go against everything that has brought us the, the success we've had until um, right now. So yes, we should never do that. And the other side of the coin is rather than picking one industry and doing that in many countries, we decided to cover many industries and to take full advantage of all the synergies between those industries. And that's where we can unlock an incredible amount of value. And that's also a space where there is practically nobody. Yeah. Because almost every media company or conference organizers is, is focused on either one industry or a small number of industries. And now that we are almost 13 years down this road, we have a very good understanding and a very good reach into all of these key industries. And we, we're in a very unique place where we can connect these people around the right topics. So all of that would have been lost okay. if we would have decided to, to chase, in the end, the money internationally. Do you ever think about doing consulting again? Like that dream has ever come back now that you have access to every... I think we're never going to do that. <laughs> we're, we're happy to introduce our clients to companies who are specialized in that. Exactly. Um, this is one of the main challenges. There are so many opportunities that we could chase in the next couple of years. And one of the main challenges is picking the ones that add more value to the ecosystem that we have built over the years and that add more value to our clients. So if we would launch a consulting activity next year, are we really serving our clients? Will we be the best consultants in Mexico? Yeah. No. Could we become that over the next five to 10 years? Who knows? But should we ever chase that? No, There's there are other people who do that very, very well. Okay. So we're going to focus on where we can really be, be excellent. And in, in everything we do, we, we should set the standard. Perfect. Last question. If you were to start again, to do all of these that you have done, how would you do it differently or the same? Like, what would you repeat or change? I would definitely... If you want to start that today, like if you want to start in this new era with iPads, not the new thing. I think it would be very difficult to start a print publishing business today. It could probably still be done, but it, it would be very hard to do that again. I think if I could want to repeat one thing, uh, that would be to have that same energy, belief, uh, sort of on the verge of craziness where you're just going to chase a goal and assume that it's always going to be okay. And I think this is, in the end, if you want to, to make something 
great happen. Um, no one can plan for that. If, you would, if I would go back and talk to myself in 2011 and I would tell myself, this is where you're going to be in 2023 and this is the road you have walked to get there. First of all, I would never have believed that the company would look like this today and I would have never signed up for the road that I had to take <laughs> to get there. And this is, in essence, what you need in order to, to do something, something great. It is you need to have that, that little bit of crazy belief and, and innocence, innocence almost, exactly. uh, where, yes, you underestimated how hard it was going to be, but if you persevere, you will also get further than you thought you were going to get. So I think anyone who would try to, if I would try to build this vision, this ecosystem from scratch, I wouldn't know where to start because almost everything that becomes complex over time you cannot build that from day one you need to start small so the worst thing that i could ever do if i wanted to do this again was have the dream to build what there is today i would need to start with a simple dream just like doing one book on oil and gas uh -huh, uh -huh. do that well and build from there maybe i would uh, not be so stubborn and try to do it all on my own um, <laughs> because in the end this is uh is one lesson learned. So I've done this without partners and without funding. So this company is still 100% bootstrapped. Still, yeah, that responsibility is, is on my shoulders. And uh, is that the best way to build a company? Probably not. If I would build a company again, I would look for a couple of partners and I would go and find some investment and accelerate some of the processes mm -hmm. and make sure also that we can not only share uh, some of the responsibilities, uh, the good times and the bad times. Uh, yeah, that would, that would probably be advisable to myself. Thank you so much. Recuerda compartir este episodio, subir lo que aprendiste a Twitter o Instagram, escribirle un mensaje o etiquetar a los invitados de la semana. También puedes hacer algún clip y subirlo a tus redes sociales. Pero sobre todo, y lo más fácil que puedes hacer, es darle clic a seguir este episodio o dejar una reseña y regalarnos 5 estrellas en Spotify o Apple Podcast. Cualquiera de estas acciones hacen toda la diferencia. Si te quedaste con la duda de algo, en dementes.mx puedes encontrar las notas de este episodio. Dementes es una producción de Dementes Media. Nuestro equipo incluye a Edgardo Martínez, Alejandro Benítez, Sofía Desens, Rosa Guerrero, Ricardo López, Max Lumbreras, Héctor Martínez, Ana Sofía Meraz, Jafet Mota, Diego Robles, Germán Enríquez, Miguel Guerra, Diana Ferioli, César Esparza, Paloma Gática, Jesús Moreno y Oscar Treviño. Ahora sí, eso es todo por hoy. Gracias por escucharnos y nos vemos la siguiente semana con un nuevo episodio de Dementes. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.